and once again a very warm welcome with today's chapter of master class with fearless educator in collaboration with helios educor educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all aristotle said with this belief i nalini asthana your host and moderator a professional with 25 years of experience in this industry of education initiate our today's chapter i started my career as a school teacher and then gradually came to the field of trainings i had been into pedagogical training for more than a decade and a half and trained 2000 plus teachers and principals for subject enrichment and organizational development proven to my competency with stupendous performance in trainings i imparted exclusive training to diet scrt kvs jnvs other educational brands like dps dpsg and also closely worked with british council delhi government and cbsc and ncert deeply working in the field of training i had been associated with india's most renowned institutions like iser nit niftim dtu vit and many more i have also been an eminent speaker for a world level education confluence on numerous occasions on different topics like relevance of education global education empowerment and nep these days so this was all about me and now i would like to introduce our speaker for the day a very renowned and well known person mr manit jain as the co-founder of the number of one leading school in india heritage group of schools a k12 progression schools with over 7000 children mr manit jain has redefined quality in education in india manit sir has championed the cause of experiential learning launched it successfully in the mainstream environment he is driven by the cause of real and humane education and continues to educate and address the need for reimagining schools he is a thought leader in education who has spoken and written extensively on the need for transforming education he co-chairs the fiki school education arm named at fiki arise in india and has been instrumental in engaging with various government organizations from time to time to restructure and reimagine edu- education manit sir has personally facilitated mul- multiple workshops and webinars across the schools with school leaders parents and teachers widely acknowledged and regarded for his work in the experiential learning area he understands the dire need for reform in teacher education in the country and the inadequacy of the system to prepare effective teachers an empathetic change maker with a robust investment of practice and perfection in education mr manit jain continues to found new ventures like i am a teacher a post graduate diploma in learning and teaching that is changing the paradigm of teaching in india an initiative that is developing a model for practice based teacher education in collaboration with boston teacher residency so he has committed himself to bring about the much needed change in teacher education that could fundamentally 
transform our classrooms and schools. Manit sir as alumnus of Harvard University and holds a master degree in education from the university. So now I would like to raise the curtain and give him the virtual red carpet welcome and a very warm welcome to you, sir. You are thank, thank you, you so for joining us. Thank you, Nalini. That was a very generous introduction. You pulled out everything from everywhere, it seems. <laughs> right now, my name, uh, obviously, as uh, you see on the screen, is Kaira Jain. I'm using my daughter's computer. Uh, given that I've, I have to use two devices to make sure that the presentation is seamless. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, I'm going to share broadly about the journey of the school in two phases. One was the initial journey of transformation. And uh, the second part is post-2016, which will speak about some of the changes that we made uh, looking at the second machine age, the fourth industrial age, uh, the future of careers and the world. Yeah. So uh, uh, I would request you, Nalini, if you could stop the presentation entirely so I'm able to see as many people as I can. So 2003 was the year we set up our school. And uh, within the first two weeks itself, I went in to spend about half a day inside the classroom. And uh, it was very surprising that uh, when I entered the classroom, uh, I was actually horrified. I experienced fear. I experienced uh, the same kind of anxiety that I used to, that I was very familiar with when I was a child, but had completely forgotten. Uh, and it was a very, very visceral feeling. The experience left me restless. and I started reflecting on the impact my education had on me. And I got two insights. Uh, one of them is what I call trained purposelessness. So my most vivid memory of it was in my mitosis class in grade eight. Imagine the six phases of mitosis. I don't even know if you remember those. Uh, how is it relevant? I went through this and many more classes just wondering why I was learning what I was learning. And I never got a fair answer beyond this is important in exams or an odd teacher could also tell you because it is chapter number four in your book. So what happened over a period of time was I got used to the idea that the why is not important. Yeah. And I used got used to the idea of conforming, of not inquiring, of not examining. And in some ways, I got trained for purposelessness. Einstein said education should be perceived as a valuable gift and not as a hard duty. Unfortunately, in our context, it's largely been burdensome with the obsessive focus on examinations and rote learning, as you're all aware. I won't get much into that. but. What happens to you when you perform this hard duty for 14 precious years of your life? It becomes a part of your life. You don't suddenly 
then go to college all excited about what you're going to learn or you don't go to your workplaces passionate about what you're going to do in your job it just becomes a job it becomes a burden it becomes a kind of a duty something that you have to do and not necessarily something that you want to do i work with large groups of parents and even when i run uh, sessions in halls full of 500000 parents and i ask them how many of you have found your calling i typically see about 5 10 15 hands go up so this lack of relevance in education really sets you on a path of meaninglessness of purposelessness in some ways and it's very very difficult to then uh, start that search if as a child you've been conditioned to conform and follow the second thing that happened was i lost my ability to be myself in the school experience uh, there was such fierce judgment fear humiliation rankings comparisons such battering of the self esteem of every child uh, just focusing on deficits as opposed to capacities uh, as opposed to potential and strengths uh, uh, it robs one of the ability to be themselves and i thought to myself if this is what the education system does uh, then what good is the english math or any content or skills that you're going to teach them how can somebody without purpose and without the ability to be themselves uh, experience true joy and many of these things of course i did not think about when i was a student they only came to me when i was reflecting on my education and i got on the other side and i was totally convinced that children in our school will not go through that experience but the trouble was that i knew what i did not like and what i did not want to do i had no idea about what else to do uh, like most people uh, new to a thought uh, i was wondering am i the only person feeling this way and as i spoke to some others i got all kinds of responses and, uh, back then in the year 2004 you can imagine not many were interested in any kind of change or which is doing lip service to the idea now uh, we decided to go to some of the most progressive alternate schools in the country and outside who may possibly have had some answers so i visited the krishnamurti schools the center for learning the aurobindo schools the reggio emilia system waldorf schools uh read about summer hill about toto chan and all kinds of uh, uh, books on the subject and uh, visited all kinds of institutions the one thing in common was uh, particularly when i visited some of the alternate schools they advised me that it opened a mainstream school and they said that the aspirations of the parent community can't be aligned to this kind of learning they're looking for traditional parameters of success to them it means examination results they will seek tests they will seek notebooks they will seek textbooks they'll seek all kinds of conventional evidences that you will not be able to provide them and uh, this may not then uh, be a suitable scenario and that's where i think i found the purpose in my life because 
that's when i said that if this hasn't been done in the mainstream so far and uh, that's probably why most of these school principals that i talk to say it can't happen then it needs to happen and uh, i decided that i'm going to commit my life to rehumanizing education to bringing meaning and purpose into learning so we got into preparations on a war footing and launched a new session in 2005 perhaps the largest experiment in mainstream schools in the country at that time no uniforms no textbooks no subjects no tests no tests of any kind no unit weekly nothing no no pre announced testing of any kind no examinations a fully multidisciplinary project based curriculum prepared by our own teachers from scratch for the initial years we were accused of treating kids like guinea pigs a third of our parents left and uh, you know we became the most controversial school uh, definitely in delhi and cr perhaps even in the country yet we kept working at what we believed in and uh, there were many many challenges there and let me share my presentation now uh, so uh, many people uh, want to know how did it work uh, how did you even get the teachers to start uh, uh, focusing on change how do you bring about that ownership so sort of four or five things that happened uh, not necessarily in the same order but the first thing was actually open dialogues just talking to people around uh, what their own educational experience was reflecting on the pain that they may have felt had uh, to actually stroke it because most people when they're thinking about their own education like to remember pleasant memories from outside the classroom and not so much from inside the classroom and i can tell you after a couple of months of open dialogues many of them asked me to leave the school they said what are you doing here uh, this doesn't work we are not equipped to do this kind of work Uh, the parents don't want it uh, why should we change and uh, it took perhaps about 3 to 4 months of continuous dialogues to start seeing change one person at a time and i very vividly remember in one of the meetings uh, uh, you know one teacher had this eureka moment almost and she said that uh, uh now i get it uh, you want us to think and you want us to work uh and believe you me she was not saying this in humor uh, she actually meant it she really meant that no that was never an expectation i thought i just have to come in look at the textbook teach that and go back and check some copies and do some tests uh so that was the state of affairs obviously around everywhere and the idea was to build a sense of ownership and purpose first in the teaching community because uh, you know we noticed that even when we asked them about their own dreams a large part of the people would talk about their dreams in terms of i want my family to be safe i want 
my children to do well in life i want my husband to be happy i want peace at home uh, i want uh, you know as if uh, not having any conflict not having any disagreements not having any problems uh, was the extent of the dream for most people and i would often ask them so what is your dream for yourself and many would say that uh, that that construct itself uh, is strange to them uh, they've never really thought that they're allowed to have a dream or uh, or it is okay to have a dream for yourself because they've always thought about others and that's that's the greatness of uh, the uh, the indian woman and uh, that's also the constraint and that's also the challenge in some ways uh, the ability to think about others but no space to think about myself so we had to work on their personal vision a lot of work on self helping them address their fears uh, practically commando kind of training taking them out getting them to do several things that they had never done before including climbing rocks rappelling down a rock uh, going river rafting really confronting their fears and living life and finding their purpose so we use the outdoors a lot and a lot of reflection uh, we couldn't ask them to do reflections with kids without first introducing them to the idea of uh, uh, thinking about their own life and about their experiences so a lot of work hinged around first building this personal vision getting them to taste success in some experiences and then building a shared vision and values that in our journey was perhaps uh, the first step and then in the process of empowerment there was the technical stuff defining the what and how what would this change look like what are the models that we're going to learn from and for us it was clearly expeditionary learning schools which is a premier chain of experiential learning schools in the us uh, uh, we found mentors from there who came and trained us uh, our entire team and then there were a whole lot of trainers mentors from the country uh, for different aspects for emergent literacy somebody else for uh, mathematics uh, uh, shaji many of you would know jodo gyan and uh, and then uh, once the attitudinal work was done and we figured out what we wanted to do in the technical content skills stuff like norms of collaboration pausing paraphrasing posing uh, good questions then building structures for planning and reviews and structures were very very important at that time uh, supporting every teacher in ensuring that when they're getting those wings they don't get disappointed they're able to take that flight uh, uh, so it was a very uh, human process i would say more than a technical process it was a change management uh, very very human process uh, anyhow one thing uh, led to another we gained parents confidence hundreds of workshops educating them about aspects of uh, uh, experiential learning about aspects of this new pedagogy and you can very well imagine in the year 2005 uh, 
uh, when suddenly a thousand parents see no textbooks, they see no tests, uh, they see no uniforms, they were up in arms. They were like, this is not going to happen. Uh, you can't treat our kids as guinea pigs in your experiment. Uh, and the only thing I would tell them at that point of time was that nothing can be worse. Uh, any change would be an improvement over the system. So we kept refining the curriculum by 2013. We also started appearing amongst the list of top performing CBSE schools in the country, 90, 92% uh, averages. And that's when people started taking notice that, uh, hey, these guys have worked out some kind of a recipe uh, where they do not pressurize the kids also. They live their childhood and uh, have meaningful experiences, uh, uh, enjoy learning, uh, don't look at it as a burden, and yet are able to produce uh, examination results also uh, and get their kids to good colleges uh, around the globe and in India. And, uh, and we, uh, I guess, uh, were never satisfied. The one thing that we had done extremely well was to set up a truly learning organization. Uh, so for us, critiquing our work, gathering data on key indicators, whether they were around culture or learning, uh, was extremely important. And uh, to uh, giving, giving feedback to each other, uh, re-examining the purpose, re-examining the vision, building a strategic plan of significance, uh, all the time uh, looking at continuous improvement had become a part of our DNA. And uh, none of this work happened without professional development. On an average, we've had about two to 300 hours of professional development every year uh, since 2005 for all of our teachers. And in 2016, uh, when I was first exposed through the World Economic Forum to the fourth industrial revolution, uh, I got pretty alarmed. Uh, a lot of those ideas seemed like science fiction initially. And I thought, no, this is not going to happen. But then I delved deeper, uh, got into some very active research and uh, really understood that this coming together of the digital, the biological and the physical is going to transform lives uh, in unimaginable ways. Uh, the AI and machine learning forecast by IQ analytics, uh, McKinsey said this, compared to the industrial revolution, AI is contributing to transformation of society 10 times faster at 300 times the scale with 3000 times the impact. So imagine what happened in 150 years in the industrial revolutions. Uh, they're saying it's going to happen and more is going to happen over, over the next 15 years. Uh, Andrew McAfee of MIT, who wrote the book, The Second Machine Age, says there'll be more technology and fewer jobs. The big question is what will get computerized and what won't? What will people do? So I studied a lot on this subject. And uh, uh, this is actually this presentation I first made in December 2016. I won't go into details of it, but very broadly, uh, after doing much research, it boiled down to two areas said people will need to build these skills that computers will not be able to replicate easily. One is social intelligence, sharing, empathy, 
ability to see multiple perspectives, to collaborate, to um, communicate assertively, uh, assisting, caring, all the human aspects. And then uh, creative intelligence is around putting disparate bits of information together to make a whole, to creatively solve a problem, curiosity, deep thinking, uh, and uh, you know, we really figured that something needs to change. So, education, educating for the fourth industrial revolution, actually, in all of the research that I'd done, meant some of these things caring, sharing, empathy, trustworthiness, reconciling differences, curiosity, self awareness, originality. And when you see all these words together, uh, it seems like somebody is giving us a message that we need to become more human. And the machines will do the job that machines were made for. But even to have jobs or to exist socially, we will have to bring out the best human in ourselves. We'll have to rehumanize ourselves. And uh, it is no longer going to be an option. One may say that uh, wasn't that the purpose of education always. Uh, yes, it was, but it was okay if you didn't work on those things earlier. Now it is going to become both a social and an economic imperative. You will not be able to survive if you don't make your human qualities bigger. We are getting into the era of so it's what I call survival of the humanist. So for us, we reevaluated our whole notion of preparedness. So what does preparedness mean to us in this era? The first and foremost is work on the self. Uh, so we truly believe to experience true joy, one needs to be comfortable in their own sabhav, whatever that sabhav is, whoever they are, accepting oneself, uh, being comfortable in your own skin, really knowing what gives me joy. Even just the simple question, how many people can answer this? Uh, uh, this really is a journey to understand my fears, my triggers, my emotions, to understand how to manage them and to express them productively, to live a life from a space of consciousness, uh, uh, not from a space of unconsciousness. And then the second thing is your capacity to relate. Can I build enduring relationships? And we're seeing that the world is going through an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, uh, by 2030, depression will become the biggest killer in the world. And yet, we're seeing very little work in educational institutions on actively building students' capacity to relate. And it cannot happen if our classrooms are going to be the way they are, if uh, there's only going to be one-way dialogue in 99% of the classrooms or in the uh, slightly better ones, two-way dialogues, uh, but unless we're putting kids in small group situations, getting them to work with their peers, getting them to do active projects where they'll solve problems together, things are not going to change. So, uh, I was just looking at the clock. Uh, if you get the self and relationships in place, 
Then the third thing is livelihood. And I look at livelihood through the lens of meaning, mastery, and money, not just money. Uh, livelihood and something that I find meaningful, something that makes me jump out of bed and go to work. Mastery to me is the space of honing my skills, getting better every couple of years, at least getting this feeling I'm a better human being than I used to be, that there is some pursuit in my life. It's not simply about professional growth. It's not about degrees. Uh, it's about really feeling like I am becoming uh, more than I was. And then if you have all of these three things in place, what do you use them for? Do you use them for your own benefit or do you use them to make the world a better place, the peace on citizenship. And with these four goals in mind to build social and creative intelligence, we thought we'll work in four specific areas. Uh, one was experiential learning, further strengthening our work that we'd already been doing, which is our projects largely. Then the human framework is something that we developed, which is our framework for social emotional learning. Uh, there is nothing like this anywhere in the world. Uh, there are a lot of happiness curricula, uh, but our attempt is to go beyond that and to recognize every single human emotion and to give students the tools to manage their lives better. Uh, the third was the whole piece on STEM, design thinking, maker engineering, digital literacy. And the fourth instrument we thought that could be uh, strengthened a lot was literacy itself. Uh, you know, really going deeper into literacy, understanding the impact good uh, reading, writing, speaking, listening can have on children's lives. So I'll go into each element briefly. And experiential learning is largely misunderstood uh, or has several connotations and I'm not going to take away any of those connotations from anybody. Uh, I'll share what it means to us. So the uh, bicycle project is an example of, uh, you know, uh, this is this was a project that was initiated in our school in 2013, uh, where kids wanted to get a bike path in the city of Gurgaon. There was an authentic purpose, uh, there was relevance for them, it was a real problem that they had to solve, not simulation, and it would leave, lead to real change. So it uh, fitted these four parameters, essentials for us to have any kind of a project. We don't believe in simulations, we believe in real work that children should make a real change. So the first phase of this expedition, and we designed the entire six months, their curriculum was designed around this. The first phase was observation and illustration of bikes, assembling and dismantling bicycles, redesigning, remodeling, repairing, uh, and uh, innovating again in that space. Uh, the final product was a bike manual for dummies. Uh, then they donated refurbished bicycles to people. Uh, the pedagogy was hands-on productive work, working with community experts, artisans, working through multiple drafts. And the skills they developed were capacity to create, think, design, innovate, build an ethic of excellence and craftsmanship. The, uh, there's a couple of images. Uh, uh, the second was the history, present and future of bicycles. So the whole social science of it. So uh, uh, 
how did the current bicycle happen? What was the evolution of these? Uh, uh, how do inventions uh, transform lives? Uh, how it led to bicycles led to empowerment of minority groups, how women for the first time could leave their homes because they had a mode of transport. Uh, uh, then they created prototypes of futuristic bicycles and uh, there's a lot of design thinking there, habits of a historian, how do you think, analyze, connect, synthesize. Uh, and then the third phase uh, of the bicycle expedition was around documenting case studies, doing a lot of uh, primary and secondary research, going out and meeting the authorities in Gurgaon, in Chandigarh to, uh, you know, uh, writing proposals, civic action, change management, organizing a rally where they called uh, pretty much every politician, everybody in the city and really mobilizing resources, uh, uh, shaping opinion, uh, influencing people and getting things done. When we look at the subjects in the project on science, we were working on our simple machines work, friction, drag in uh, humanities and the history, empowerment of women, active citizenship uh, on and on literacy, reading, comprehension, of course, writing traits, research writing, math, data collection, analysis, ratio, proportion. So all subjects were getting covered. And if you see, there was true development of social and creative intelligence. And uh, we did not get a bike path, but we did get a movement called Rahagiri, which started on the 17th of November. Our kids started this movement in 2013. And uh, by now it's gone to about 50 cities, uh, 50 different places uh, in the country. So that's the power of change that students can bring about. That was a little bit about the experiential learning part. And uh, then there's the social emotional learning curriculum, uh, which is largely around the human framework, my swabhav, uh, the work on self, uh, Again, the freedom to express myself thoughtfully and constructively. I build healthy relationship with myself and I'm resilient when faced with challenges. And uh, uh, my purpose, uh, really being purposeful in action, we find in many schools of privilege, I think one of the largest problems today is uh, that kids get bored easily. The, uh, the level of stimulation is so high and the level of entitlement, uh, uh, getting deeply immersed in experiences is a challenge. Uh, then my relationships have discussed with you and my context, which is very, very important, the environment that I'm in. We created standards for SEL. Uh, this is one of possibly 200 strands uh, that go across age levels. Uh, so do you understand what empathy means? It's not just a word. Can, can a six-year-old understand what it means at their level and then can a 16 year old understand it at their level and then uh, rubrics for that, what are the expected behaviors. It's a, it's a fairly uh, robust uh, document and uh, a lot of training happened in this area. Uh, then balanced literacy, again, uh, there were many myths around literacy, ensuring that every child has a different book, uh, different resource, all kids are not reading the same thing. Uh, 
And then, of course, uh, working on digital creation, ensuring that technology empowers them to create and not simply to consume. Uh, so becoming active users of technology rather than passive consumers, work on computational thinking, digital innovation, digital citizenship, uh, and uh, digital collaboration. Uh, so this is a pretty common site. It's not a lab kind of a scenario where some kids go for some time, all kids uh, experience making, tinkering, uh, design thinking, systems thinking uh, at their classroom level. They develop apps, they develop multiple solutions. Uh, we've presented our work at multiple conferences around the globe. I think uh, the work on making is, is, uh, is really up there with any other school, uh, the best of these schools in STEM around the globe. Uh, and yes, uh, of course, I could go on and on about uh, some of these projects and uh, what has happened, but I'll, uh, I'll I guess, uh, stop here. Uh, I hope this does give you a glimpse into phase one of the journey that was around 2003, 2004, and uh, now the phase two that started happening after 2016 and how we reinvented in, uh, ourselves. Uh, I'd be happy to take questions once Prerna has shared her perspective of this uh, life transforming journey. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Manitsa. It was really a very insightful session where we came to know how experiential learning is a need of the R and we can change our education system in in this way. So over to Prerna ma'am. Prerna, ma, uh, Prerna Manan is head of middle program, Heritage Experience School. She'll be sh sharing uh, her thoughts related to it. So Prerna ma'am. Thank you, Nalini. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I quickly uh, want to share an overview of my experience uh, of uh, working as an experiential learning educator. I think that gives a more closer uh, uh, you know, idea of how it has been this entire journey of uh, experiential learning. I'm going to share my presentation and yeah, is it visible? You can see my presentation, Ali. It's visible. So uh, just to start with, um, Manit spoke about the two phases of uh, experiential learning and the change that the school brought about. Uh, one in 2003, 2004, and the other one uh, in 2016 onwards. I somewhere joined in the middle. Uh, in 2010 and I was looking for a progressive uh, education school and at that point in time my definition of progressive education was uh, that students are active learners here and um, and what it meant for me was you know they're busy with doing worksheets and a lot of work is given to them so students do more work than uh, the educators that was a very simplistic definition that I had in mind but it was only when I joined in as a social science teacher who was also teaching expeditions, um, it was an eye-opener for me. 
inside the class i would see students doing most of the talking and talking not over each other but listening to each other and responding i've never seen a group of students who are so interested in listening to the other student another thing that you know uh, was very stark was uh, the amount of choice that the teachers would offer the students inside class um, you know to present their learning to demonstrate their understanding and uh, i always felt that you know this is creating a lot of chaos uh, but you just needed to be there to uh, believe the kind of engagement it was uh, bringing to their learning um, in fact my own i was given enough time to soak in all these experiences and you know have my observations and everything uh my first challenge started with um you know creating a worksheet i was i was expected to create a worksheet which um not only had student thinking visible in it but also had uh, an opportunity for students to enhance their learning so they move from whatever they are learning to the next level and this was in the uh, bicycle expedition so uh, we had uh, we had three years of this expedition in three different phases uh, 2010 was the first one and uh, you won't believe it it took me uh, multiple drafts to come up with something like this this is after drafts and drafts of feedback uh, that i had received from teachers from my mentors and um, i came up with something like this which was you know teaching the uh, the timeline or the chronology because it was a, i was a social science teacher i was to create a, a worksheet around the history of bicycles and um, i tried to put in my best and there was you know context available for each of these years the evolution of bicycle and also i had given the space for students to write their questions in it what really turned around for me here was the kind of responses i got i was never expecting students and i don't have that uh, sheet with me right now available um the kind of responses i got was again an eye opener for me students picked so much from here and that's when i realized that we undermine the student capacity and potential they they are ready to learn more they are ready to get more in uh, the way we teach and it was finally an end product of this nature which came out of this uh, deeper learning expedition bicycle uh, the magnitude of this end product that actually changed everything around for me and since then you know just like you say that once you've tasted blood uh, of the best of expression uh, there was no turning around there was no going back to the usual way of teaching um, so many opportunities to design expeditions on biodiversity on farming um on uh, uh, human body uh, in fact there's an expedition that we currently run which is uh, called food and farming and uh, every saturday is a farmers organic farmers uh, monday that is organized now this is an end product of a grade 5 expedition and um, it, the students have uh, you know in this expedition brought the school community and the farmers of uh, the organic farmers of jajjar together uh, the idea is so that the city members are able to have direct access to organically grown food and farmers also get support and the risk uh, mitigation that they require um there is this one of the expeditions and there are many more such examples also to share with you but 
I'd like to really impress upon one point here. The first, when I entered the classroom, the, the insight was that it's not just active, it's student-led. The second one was that whatever you do in experiential learning is action-packed. And there's a huge celebration of uh, learning and student achievement. Um, you know, that creates such a, a, a feeling of um, excitement that you don't want to teach in any other manner. Um, the other most important uh, um, support that is offered to teachers, and I think because I've learned from the experts, uh, it's given me that capacity to design expeditions, to think ahead, to think of end products, design uh, opportunities for students to be able to apply the skills and knowledge that they learn. Uh, it's and review the expeditions. So you would sit down with the experts to review. They would, you know, thrash down your expeditions into uh, bits and pieces and tell you to go back, work on it and come back. And uh, then when you see the end results, uh, you know, it's, it's so inspiring. Um, what it really creates for us um, in uh, this kind of a scenario is a positive professional culture. So there is a safe environment to be vulnerable. Uh, there is freedom to create. Uh, you're not fearful of fear of failure. Uh, there is a structure available to you of brainstorming and collaborative planning. Now, when I moved to this role in uh, 2015 uh, as the head of the middle program, this is something that I would really hold on to and continue to do so. Create the most positive learning environment where teachers are able to express themselves, they know who they are. The trust that the teacher has in the system really leads for her to you know, uh, create students who want to be change makers outside. Um, the happier the teacher, the, you know, the students would, it works best for the students. Now, all of this and, you know, has led to reimagining of education. And this reimagining of education has also led us to, uh, you know, led to a mindset, sh mindset shift. And once there is this shift, you don't want to go back to the to the normal. There is no other way that you can think of teaching, even in a remote learning scenario. And uh, I think the rigor of making connections with real life that builds the essential skills of critical thinking, problem solving, all that Manit shared, including active citizenship. Uh, the fact is that it's not just um, academic, uh, um, you know, learning. It's it's also social engagement, and uh, it's also emotional engagement. And if you're emotionally engaged with what you're learning um, on teaching, then um, then the learning is there for the students. Um, and the focus areas have been, you know, subject integrations, designing multidisciplinary expeditions wherever possible, include, um, you know, as many subjects, especially science and social science, um, language, and if possible, even numeracy. Uh, then teacher capacity building, revisiting and re reviewing the expeditions and even the school vision for that matter. Aligning social emotional learning to academic learning. It's not separate, building habits of character. All these have been such strong learnings that, um, you know, I'm really thankful that I've had this opportunity to uh, explore uh, experiential learning. And uh, in my dream also cannot think of uh, teaching in any other way. Thank you. 
absolute insightful presentation pranava and i really thank uh, you for giving us the best core thing where we talk about student led classrooms and most of the schools are having teacher led classrooms where you people talk about student led classrooms so thank you so very much for giving this insight so over to manitsa and i am coming up with the questions which audience has uh, raised with us so may i have the yeah yes thank you so much so the very first question is how do you measure what students learn and how effectively they have applied their academic skills sure so uh let me split this into two parts Sir. one is around uh, the academic itself so around literacy around numeracy so for everything we've got our learning standards in place and uh, very detailed rubrics so how do children demonstrate that they have learned what they, we want them to learn so if you see this is a journey that begins from relevance so uh, why are we learning what we are learning first that question needs to be answered for the child that question needs to be answered for the teacher why am i teaching what i'm teaching so when we understand that then the next question is how are we going to teach and what exactly are we going to teach and then how are we going to know that the child has learned it so what is worth learning how will you make that learning happen and then how will you know whether the learning has happened or not so uh, assessments could be if i could pick an example let us say of reading uh, we use the fontes and pinel which is uh, the global benchmark for this then we use a lot of uh, 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 assessments for numeracy that are developed internally uh, so that's one part of it looking at numeracy and literacy then the other part is the skills the social and creative intelligence skills that i spoke about or what we cover in the human framework uh, the sel work is the child developing in each one of these areas or not whether it is the 21st century skills or other areas we actually assess it more through application yeah when kids come together in projects you'll often find that uh, they they take on a whole project like i shared about the bicycle project they'll take on this whole project they'll make a project plan uh, they'll make small teams assign tasks hold each other accountable uh, so it's you you pretty much see everything in action and as teachers are observing and playing the role of facilitators and mentors in the process they're not necessarily teaching all the time they're actually seeing whether the kids are meeting what we have on our uh, rubrics trainer do you want to add something to it yeah but it also I, there are different uh, ways of collecting this data so one is of course teacher observations uh, also students own reflection and self assessment of achieving and how close they are to the learning targets 
um, students are also aware of the fact that their work needs to be collated and collected in the form of a portfolio, which is the most uh, authentic evidence of their struggles and achievements. Um, so the idea is that students become leaders of their own learning and are able to articulate for themselves where they are and where they need to go. That requires continuous reflection. So, you know, there's this thought about you don't learn from experience, you learn from the reflection of that experience. I think that's so deeply embedded in the pedagogy that after every stage um, of learning, there is reflection, self-assessment, uh, success criteria is offered to the students right in the beginning so that it's clear for them where they are going. Uh, yeah, these are a few of the ways in which. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty clear, uh, Baneet sir, uh, that you give the complete project in the hands of students. And as Prerna uh, said, that student-led classrooms are the, uh, means the practice of your school. So it's absolutely giving the clear picture why you talk about experiential schools so thank you for this answer and i hope my viewers have got the complete just how they uh, apply the measures to uh, get the um, find out the effective uh, implementation in students so coming to my next question from a practical standpoint what are some of the pitfalls of the experiential education? To me, it's the best form of education. Of course, not the easiest to implement. Uh, definitely, there are challenges. Uh, and uh, again, I'd say the challenges are both adaptive and technical. Uh, the technical are often easier to scale because uh, there, there are plenty of resources available. There are plenty of good mentors available across the globe who can help someone who's wanting to learn and who's wanting to shift. But the adaptive part of the challenge uh, is particularly demanding uh, because it's just hard work. And it takes a while to get used to the idea. But like Prerna said, once you taste success in this, you can't go back to doing the same thing because you'll find it absolutely meaningless. Uh, so often teachers who've taught in our school also, you know, sometimes for higher positions or something, they go out, they generally come back after a while or they start transforming classes wherever they go and wherever they don't get the space to do the kind of work they've done, uh, it becomes challenging. Of course, finding people, uh, with that kind of an attitude is challenging. Uh, but we work with a very strong belief that uh, just like every student has potential, every teacher has potential, given the right guidance, the right support, the right space to experiment, uh, we can all become great experiential educators. Absolutely, sir. So again, this uh, it's kind of a repetition of the same question. How will you do an experiential learning with an in uh, with an unexperienced teacher? And uh, Pranam is the example of that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. All I can tell you is that uh, uh, you know Prerna shared an interesting slide. The first thing is for school leaders 
to get out of the space uh, that i know you know and unfortunately uh, everyone as a school leader wears this burden of knowing you know you're expected to be a master genius at everything uh, and it's rare to be able to go out and say i don't know for us it happened pretty easily because i really did not i wasn't from the education space to begin with so i would walk into the classrooms and teachers would throw a problem and i would say well i don't know let's figure out so the whole culture was around figuring out uh, when we do that we give people the space to be vulnerable we give people the space to make mistakes uh, we demonstrate that belief in people that inspires them motivates them to go beyond themselves and find something meaningful for themselves so uh, i'd say the essential part of this journey is work on the self and the technical part can then follow it's like saying if somebody wants to learn they'll figure out themselves it's not rocket science technically it's not so hard to do this it's not so hard to create a good project you can keep refining your skills uh, but it's just uh, having the hunger to change uh, and if school leaders have that hunger this can definitely happen true sir true the grit and the zeal can definitely make you to learn such things if you have that then only you can be prenamanan who is still there and working and on and on absolutely so our next question is are we in the business of education or education as a business we are in the business of teaching children <laughs> we are in the business of transforming lives Yes. Uh, we're in the business of making a difference. We're in the business of building a nation. Yes. Uh, and this is not a race. Uh, this is really not a race. We're in the business of finding our humanity, transforming our lives, and in that process, transforming the lives of children. Uh, is education a business? should it be a business well personally uh, i would not like to send my children to a school that works on pure passion or pure charity uh, because it will be very hard for me to hold them accountable then personally i think uh, there is a lot of malpractice in education and that malpractice is caused because there is uh, there are structures and laws that do not make sense at this point of time for many people and uh, uh, the only way forward is to open up the sector uh, that will clean up the sector also encourage more corporates good organizations to come into this sector and once that happens uh, i think uh, will win uh, at the level of access at the level of uh, affordability at the level of quality uh, i think things would improve dramatically but at this point of time uh, with the way this whole thing is structured uh, I, i i personally am not supportive of that so yes i i would be supportive of uh, education as uh, 
you know, business has many connotations, but education should come into the formal sector, in the corporate sector, and uh, uh, with a great focus on quality of education. And uh, that does not mean that we deregulate the education sector. That does not mean that schools increase fee by whatever percentage that they want to every year. It does not mean that they don't focus on safety of students. It does not mean that they don't provide quality learning. So the government should look at mechanisms to control all of these factors, quality, safety, uh, year on year fee hike, uh, but they should create legitimate ways for schools to get a reasonable, uh, school investors to get a reasonable return on investment. Uh, the kind of investments required in our country by 2030 are so humongous that the government alone would not be able to meet that. And if we don't create these structures, our kids and our country's future uh, is both at risk, are both at risk. Yes, uh, absolutely. And it's, it was really uh, by this question, we are coming to an end of our session. And it was really an insightful session where you have very clearly mentioned that multidisciplinary project-based learning is the need. And then, then only we can think of a global citizen in our coming generation. Thank you for being the part of our today's talk. And I really, really thank you. Thank you, Prerna, ma'am. Thank you, Manit, sir, for being- Thank uh, you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. viewers. Yes.